Hello and welcome. You're listening to Love as Transformation and I'm your host, Maria. This is a virtual space for spiritual, political, social and artistic reflections, looking at the power of love to transform ourselves, our communities and our world. I don't really have a plan for this podcast. I don't really know what um, to say exactly, but it feels essential to hold space and recognize and validate the absolute insanity we're seeing and to acknowledge the grief and the rage and the despair that those of us who are speaking out and in solidarity with the Palestinian people are are feeling right now and I feel compelled to of course preface it to our suffering is nothing to the suffering of the Palestinians currently who are in Gaza and even other places in like West Bank where they are being, you know, persecuted, killed, wounded, maimed in their thousands. Nonetheless, the we've all seen the horrors on our social media accounts. If you're on Twitter or Instagram, Facebook I'm finding isn't showing me a lot of content. But Instagram, I'm still getting a lot, um, despite, of course, censorship, which we can we can talk about. But um, <laughs> I mean, the the horrors we've seen, as well as the resilience and yes, problematic term, but the strength, I suppose, of the Palestinian people, um, we've seen we've seen it all. It's been laid bare for us. And it was the most kind of affirming experience to have that simply stated by the incredible South African team at the ICJ where they simply mapped out the genocide, um, the evidence for genocide. And this was the first time I've ever witnessed a case like that where I was like, yeah, I know about that. Oh, I know about that. Mm-hmm, that makes sense. That tallies with what I've seen. And I, I thought, yeah, we are all witnesses of this. We all know this. Those of us engaged with it, we've been sharing this. And it was it was a kind of validating moment where I was like, yes, we are not insane. It doesn't matter how much gaslighting goes on on the part of our mainstream media who will completely avoid calling a spade a spade or our leaders and speaking from the UK context where there is no, like the Labour Party is as pro-genocide as the Conservative Party who were in power. I, It's an extraordinary time to to be here on this earth because of course the only appropriate response to seeing the slaughter of people is to say how how can we help stop it like that is the only appropriate response and I think you know we're seeing colonialism imperialism unmask and listen it's not like I mean other people might feel the same it's not like we weren't aware of (laughs) the problem of this Eurocentric consolidation of power and the pervasiveness of colonialism and uh, white supremacy and all of these systems of oppression that, of course, are related. Um, I have, so I'm British-Ecuadorian by nationality and I'm well aware that the largest genocide in human history took place in the... Americas when they were so-called discovered in 1492 by 
Columbus and his cronies where the genocide, you know, over less than 100 years, the population went from between, let's say, 60 to 90 million, because exact numbers are uh, hazy, to something like 3.4 million people in less than 100 years. So this isn't new. And many communities have experienced land conquest, colonization and genocide. And this is what is currently happening. And it, it follows a pattern that we have seen before. And, and I guess that is significant because we shouldn't be too surprised. <laughs> I think, nonetheless, I am surprised because it's so brazen. Apologies if you hear my tummy rumbling. <laughs> it's so brazen. It's so brazen. This is the first time we've ever seen it um, documented so overtly on social media, the genocidal language of Israeli officials and governmental figures, uh, the complete inability to condemn a single thing that Israel is doing by our, our puppet governments, uh, the media being completely bizarre in its reporting with like zero recognition of historical context or understanding of what it means to be living in an apartheid regime oppressed uh, for 75 years as the Palestinian people are and have been since the creation of the state of Israel. And that, you know, in legal terms... An occupier does not have the right to self-defense against the people it is occupying. And the occupied people do have a right to resist their occupation. Mm. And, but we're being gaslit constantly to the extent that we can't, we can't use our words to call a spade a spade. And the latest horrors at the time of recording is that the... <laughs> I'm simply explaining what you all know because I hope in some way it will validate and help you connect dots and no doubt you'll have additional things to, to tell me. But that the on Friday when the preliminary ruling came out from the ICJ, which was that it accepts South Africa's case that uh, Israel is, has plausibly been genocidal and is going to take this on, which was absolutely damning both for Israel and any governments who are found to be complicit in these genocidal acts, which I think we can recognise that is what they are. In response, those who are up to their neck in complicity opted to defund UNRWA, a UN body that keeps Palestinians alive. So defunding them because of unsubstantiated claims made against 0.0004% of its workforce, claims made by Israel, no less, right now, means that they have condemned even more people to famine and certain death. So if these leaders were concerned about being complicit in genocide before, they have now fully involved themselves. I mean, who knows how involved they already were, right? But it's leading lot to lots of important questions about who funds the UK government. I've seen it suggested on social media that part of this action is an attempt to discredit South Africa's case at the ICJ by discrediting UNRWA, as no doubt South Africa has used UN stats as part of its case. If unsubstantiated claims made by a state that is on trial for genocide are to be taken seriously, 
I mean, it it just boggles the mind. And and those governments defunding UNRWA are making it extremely clear where their allegiance lies. Is the West a sinking ship? So now we have Israel pulling the strings and condemning even more Palestinians to death, which further enables their project of genocide, ethnic cleansing and um, land conquest, aided by the UK, the US, Canada and a few others. Although notably many states have made clear that they are going to continue to fund UNRWA, including Spain, Ireland, Scotland and many others are coming forward at this time of recording. Meanwhile, the BBC will give eight minutes of airtime to delve into the allegations against UNRWA while completely minimising South Africa's case at the ICJ. I mean, they didn't even live stream this, despite it being, I mean, a seminal historic moment and such a an impressive example of legality and uh you know doing research and presenting arguments in such comprehensive ways it, for me it was so impressive to watch and i thought oh gosh a lot of young people are going to want to be a lawyer because of this moment conversely although the bbc somehow i mean they somehow justified <laughs> They they opted not to live stream that, but they justified live streaming Israel's botched rebuttal, which, I mean, was simply shuffling papers and not doing their homework. Because how could they really? What is there to say? They know they can't go through South Africa's arguments point by point and disprove them because the evidence is so damning. They've been telling on themselves since the beginning of this. And I mean, those of us that are extremely critical, we know the limits of organizations like ICJ, like UN, like we are aware that they have their limits and and that often they were established more with Western interests in mind than anything else. So it's not like those of us think they're the be all and end all necessarily, but it's extremely telling that the UK would rather put them all in the bin right now. All these organizations that were designed to keep peace to um at least in limited forms honor human rights and protect people they they would rather put them in the bin than be held to account and then stop israel's genocidal campaign i guess that's just to map a bit of the landscape in terms of figures that i've got let me just look at my notes i've got more than twenty six thousand palestinians including over twelve thousand children have been killed in the last 115 days and a further 10,000 are believed to be under the rubble. And I think it's worth saying these numbers are probably far more conservative than the reality. And this is taken from things like UN, South Africa's legal team, um, Amnesty, World Health Organization, Human Rights Watch. But of course, the daily death toll continues to rise, so they'll quickly become out of date. But more than 60,000 Palestinians have been wounded and maimed. At least 85% of the population in Gaza is now internally displaced. And the people of Gaza make up 80% of the global population experiencing famine. It's 2.3 million citizens are deprived of food and water and, lived in, and live in unparalleled food insecurity. And over 100 Palestinian journalists have been killed in targeted attacks. Universities, schools, hospitals and places of worship have been destroyed. Um, the US is Israel's largest weapons provider, supplying over 90% of its arms imports. The UK also consistently sells arms to Israel. Yemen, which is one of the world's poorest, or perhaps we could say exploited, countries, has been bombed by the US and UK for stopping the flow of goods. Yemen's only demand and the genocide of the Palestinians. 
More than 8,000 Palestinians are currently being held in Israeli jails, many of them children, and these prisoners or hostages are subject to Israeli military courts, which have an almost 100% conviction rate. Those imprisoned are subject to torture, arbitrary detention, and other violations of their rights. The ICJ has accepted South Africa's case, as I've said, you know, which has hugely significant implications for governments who are determined to be complicit in the genocide. And, and Palestine has been occupied for more than 75 years, living under an apartheid regime. But also, I want to add that 153 countries worldwide voted for a ceasefire at the UN General Assembly. So it's really important not to forget that most countries, and I mean, overwhelmingly, the majority of people within countries, even these very problematic countries in the West, are for a ceasefire. The truth has been exposed. We've seen the the dehumanization, the dispossession, the slaughter of the Palestinians at the hands of Israel, and we've got the receipts, and no one is buying the propaganda anymore. Of course, there are some great like movements, like boycotts, the BDS, and it and boycotts really do work. We saw the the panic when like trade was going to be uh, <laughs> like shut down thanks to Yemen, who really are showing incredible acts of solidarity. But we see that boycotts do work. Protesting raises awareness. Sharing on social media is not nothing. It, it counts. I think we can also, you know, people that are investing can pull their investments out of anything that is pro-genocide and redistribute wealth to ethical funds. There's a huge amount of work to be done in those of us in countries whose governments are playing an active role in enabling this genocide. We need to speak out against our warmongering leaders in whatever way we can. We've seen incredible moments of solidarity from the global south, from Namibia to Bolivia, Bangladesh to Colombia. So, you know, incredible moments of solidarity when... (laughs) you know, shutting down Germany. What are you saying, Germany? Like, stop embarrassing yourself. And in Namibia, you know, highlighting the genocide that it's experienced at the hands of Germany, you know, like, who are you to be talking about this pipe down? I thought was extremely powerful. But these countries have, these global South countries have experienced genocide, colonization, imperialism, and, and they're showing us the way. But of course, it's not just the the state, it's, it's the people. The people around the world are uniting, including in places like the US and UK, uh, showing international resistance. And this movement is growing across borders. Uh, I find there's community there. And for me personally, the online space is great and affirming and I inform myself more and more every day. At the same time, nothing beats walking with people like the marches in London I've gone to almost every one that we've had and they've been sort of 500,000 people or I don't know exact numbers but they felt humongous I've I've never been in marches that large and every time I get there and I arrive and it was like a little bit late rushing and I get into the crowd and I just I feel immediately like crying I am so moved I'm so moved and I'm so like devastated but seeing all these people all these different people you've got tiny kids you've got elderly people you've got you know multiple flags as well as the Palestinian flag and I've got like the there's the Latin American block there's the um, Jewish block there's you know there's drums there's music I feel 
like I wouldn't want to be anywhere else right now I wouldn't like there's something deeply dystopian about walking around central London sometimes on a Saturday I don't know why but these kind of like plush hotels and I don't know big buildings that seem kind of empty and abandoned probably because of the marches people are, are are just not in them because the streets are about to you know this is the march route or maybe they are they're just not visible but they feel almost like soulless some of these buildings and then we're there and the marches feel almost like a party as well they there's moments where they stop and like Trafalgar Square and other places and even at the end which is sometimes in Westminster where the government buildings are anyway it's it's so gorgeous it's so alive the chanting the music the celebration of Arabic music of all kinds of all kinds of tunes joy there's there's kind of laughter and love amidst grief and i feel very like blessed to be a part of those because in that moment i feel there's an alignment not having to suspend or numb a part of myself but this is where i should be and every time i feel braver at being there at using my voice at even just connecting with others on the march and uh, and 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 embracing the presence and understanding this is where I'm supposed to be and I'm not saying that a protest is going to change things and there is much more work to be done and I'm really interested if anyone wants to get in touch about what actions shall we take what next what do we do but it's it's an immense blessing to be in those spaces and I feel not so you not so helpless and I feel like my love for humanity is restored so that is why I go to them as well and also I think to myself if if this gives Palestinian people joy when they see it um when they see these amazing videos that is also important it's like something we can do and also that it raises massive awareness and people that have been sat at home thinking this is awful but you know I'm not going to go and march. Actually, maybe you can march and maybe it, it feels really good to march. A friend of mine who's this amazing academic, um, he encouraged his wonderful Jewish friend to come with him and she'd been coming increasingly awake to the situation, increasingly critical of Zionism. Uh, and And... One thing he told me he said, um, him and his wife said, was like, it means a lot to people that you're there. And because, and she, and she came and he said that she put on a Jews Against Genocide badge and she's, you know, they were in the Jewish, Jewish block and it was a really important moment for her. And I think it takes, you know, it takes that step when we go, okay, I'm starting to question this, I'm starting to wake up. And this is for everybody. You don't have to be Jewish to do this. Like everybody's voice matters, right? Uh, to to slide in from okay, I'm apathetic, to I care, to I don't want this genocide to happen. To I'm going to do something about it in my small way from where I'm at. I'm not going to stay silent. I want to be counted. That might not be enough to save anybody, and I'm not saying it is enough or to change our world order, but that is that is what I can do right now. That is the least I can do right now, and I, I want to do it. So that's, that's something. <laughs> that's something, and I feel 
moved by humanity, uh, by people, their sincerity, their love, uh, as well as their rage. I've definitely been having a lot of thoughts about all kinds of underlying assumptions that I may have held and having to really look horrors in the face and I'm someone who if anyone was gonna like critique me or I was gonna critique myself I would say there's a danger that I could be one of those like people that go for toxic positivity where I I like I believe in like a radical politics of love and I want to really live that in every way and I want to which obviously means action against oppression all of that but but there's a kind of there's a skew towards believing that humanity is capable of so much and that everyone has kind of like I guess there's an assumption of an innate goodness in everybody that I have that I think like life experiences and you know upbringing and influences and cycles of oppression and whatever all kinds of reasons why people lose their way and I'm a theater maker and I work with all kinds of groups and even around things, using things like forum theatre, interactive theatre to, I guess, disrupt cycles of oppression to question motivations and things. And I, I do think, yeah, I still believe in these things, but I've had to really accept that it's very deeply buried, some people's innate goodness, very, <laughs> very deeply buried. And maybe in this lifetime, it's not about finding that in them because that is not going to happen realistically. Um, that doesn't mean they, as a baby, didn't have that goodness and that they, deep down in it all, don't have that that potential. But we need to put our energy into what is going to cause the least harm and generate the most good right now. And for me, that's meant like kind of radical acceptance of evil actions. I'm saying evil, but... I don't know another word to describe and that to describe what we've seen <laughs> and the 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 lack of conscience that people are exhibiting it's the lack of conscience they don't seem to feel ashamed that that's what shocks me and and even worse we're gaslit into like feeling scared I'm like oh my goodness I put the UNWRA uh, donate link on my bio and my Instagram what if I get arrested or what if like I mean who cares at the end of the day but it's like well we have to like question ourselves and censor ourselves and you know be really we feel like we have to be careful and many people I'd say the floodgates open and they are calling the spade the spade and that is what needs to happen I hope myself included but it takes guts you know my heart was beating a lot when I started sharing things because we're being made to feel fearful when we are the ones who are speaking, are calling for love, are calling to stop a genocide, are calling for freedom and for like a better way of living for everybody on this planet. And of course, I don't want oppressors to keep oppressing. That is so damaging for everyone, oppressors included. And many great anti-colonial thinkers have like, worried about the oppressor too (laughs) and that is like that's a thing and also I guess before before all this kicked off I was like almost moving beyond oppressor oppressed binaries because I understand that it's systems and systemic and you know we can talk about racial capitalism we can talk about 
colonialism and its ongoing repercussions. And yes, we have these specific figureheads right now, but they are symptoms of our of our of these symptoms of systems rather than those individuals who've just decided to be like a Machiavellian baddie in the global on the global stage. And it is important that I remind myself that these things are systemic. And if it wasn't this guy, it would be another guy. That's not to say we don't hold those individuals to account, but it makes it less unfathomable, I suppose, when we understand that this is how these systems function. I saw an interesting TikTok video. It's about rats and how in like a stressful environment to... I won't tell, say the whole thing. I'll try and share a link or something, but... Two rats become become the foragers, two become the bullies, and one becomes like the, I don't know, it's like not the victim, the, I don't know, the, the lowest status rat, and one is like self-sufficient. But how it's not to do with the skill set these rats have because they move the bullies into a different rat group, recreate the same stressful conditions, they form those exact same different roles. So two, two foragers, two bullies, two... Um, one self-sufficient, one little bullied one. Um, and I think that's really significant that no matter what combination of rats they put in, no matter who, no matter which rats they were, who, who, who was that rat? They all reproduce those same dynamics under the stressful conditions only, right? So the key is the stressful conditions, say capitalism, say our exploitative economic system, say you know, our current world order, the current way things happen. So it's not about the individual rats having like a predisposition towards bullying. It's about the dynamics as a whole. So when applied to people, I think that I'm not letting people off the hook, but I'm highlighting that perhaps this is somewhat inevitable in our current systems unless we change the system. So to keep pushing for system change and, hey, I think these things are making us do that, are making us revitalised with the movements. You know, these are not academic studies away from real people and real people's lives. So that's also important to consider. I really didn't have a plan for this podcast, but me simply speaking this aloud is is somewhat comforting for myself anyway. I don't know about for y'all. <laughs> but it's it's a reminder to not descend into despair, but to keep doing what we're doing like keep taking action keep spreading information and this is a way to to hopefully make lasting changes like out of something so horrible like we have no choice but to do something differently build alternatives continue to wither away of the old and build up of better things and there have been better things historically to this day you know we are not only these oppressive systems there are many things that go beyond it you know we've got examples of huge examples of solidarity from Yemen to uh, people stopping arms factories um, from you know sending out distributing weapons we've got all kinds of things I'm really grateful for all the social media like I don't know influencers people just educating others on like what's going on let me break this down for you, uh, making it really accessible. And I'm really grateful for all these powerful voices. I was really lucky to do my master's at SOAS University in London. And I've had a few, there are lots of great academics that I follow who 
who really live what they teach and uh, are sharing amazing articles, are helping me to make sense of ICJ rulings and things like that. And that's that's really enriching. So, okay, I'm going to draw this to a close, but I'm really interested in hearing from other people. What is helping you at this time? What action do we need to be taken, taking? Uh, yeah, what action do we need to be taking? Anything you want to share with me or point out to me that I could share with listeners? Um, yeah, solidarity to all. It's free Palestine until Palestine is free. Ceasefire now. Stop the genocide. End the occupation. You've been listening to Love as Transformation. Musings on the power of love to transform ourselves, our communities and our world. Please send your thoughts, reflections and requests to loveastransformation at gmail.com. I've been your host, Maria, and you, you are loved. Que leva o chocalho amarrado na canela Será que ela mexe o chocalho Ou o chocalho é que mexe com ela Morena de Angola Que leva o chocalho amarrado na canela Será que ela mexe o chocalho Ou o chocalho é que mexe com ela Será que a morena cochila Escutando o cochicho do chocalho Será que desperta gingando E já vai chocalhando pro trabalho Morena de Angola que leva o chucalho amarrado na canela Será que ela mexe o chucalho, o chucalho é que mexe com ela Será que ela tá na cozinha guisando a galinha, cabe dela Será que esqueceu da galinha e ficou batucando na panela